Hello and welcome to Alice is Everywhere. My name is Heather. Today we will be reading and discussing chapter 11 of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland entitled Who Stole the Tarts? When we last left our hero, she was still spending time with the Griffin and Mock Turtle. That's two full chapters of Griffin and Mock Turtle, by the way. Lewis Carroll must have been rather partial to these two. Nobody else's Wonderland episode gets two full chapters. The episode ends abruptly as things often do in Wonderland, by the trio hearing a cry in the distance of, The trial's beginning! The griffin grabs Alice's hand and tells her to come on, and they leave the mock turtle all alone, singing beautiful soup. If you're wondering why I use that possibly annoying accent for the griffin, the answer is, I have no idea. <laughs> it's not written in a manner that suggests an accent, like Pat the a Irish apple digger back in uh, chapter 4, it's just how I've always imagined the griffin talking. I can't control it. It just comes out that way. Is it Cockney? Is it Liverpudlian? I don't know. I think it's make-believe British accent by an American is what it most accurately is. So the heavily accented griffin yanks Alice along. And this is the scene they come across. Chapter 11, Who Stole the Tarts? The king and queen of hearts were seated on their throne when they arrived, with a great crowd assembled about them, all sorts of little birds and beasts, as well as a whole pack of cards. The knave was standing before them in chains, with a soldier on each side to guard him, and near the king was a white rabbit, with a trumpet in one hand, and a scroll of parchment in the other. In the very middle of the court was a table, with a large dish of tarts upon it. They looked so good that it made Alice quite hungry to look at them. I wish they'd get the trial done, she thought, and hand round the refreshments. But there seemed to be no chance of this, so she began looking at everything about her to pass away the time. Alice had never been in a court of justice before, but she had read about them in books, and she was quite pleased to find that she knew the name of nearly everything there. That's the judge, she said to herself, because of his great wig. The judge, by the way, was the king, and as he wore his crown over the wig, look at the frontispiece if you want to see how he did it, he did not look at all comfortable, and it was certainly not becoming. And that's the jury box, thought Alice, and those twelve creatures. She was obliged to say creatures, you see, because some of them were animals and some were birds. I suppose they are the jurors. She said this last word two or three times over to herself, being rather proud of it. For she thought, and rightly too, that very few little girls of her age knew the meaning of it at all. However, jurymen would have done just as well. The twelve jurors were all writing very busily on slates. "'What are they doing?' Alice whispered to the griffin. "'They can't have anything to put down yet before the trial's begun.' "'They're putting down their names,' the griffin whispered in reply, "'for fear they should forget them before the end of the trial.' "'Stupid things!' Alice began in a loud, indignant voice. But she stopped herself hastily, for the white rabbit cried out, "'Silence in the court!' And the king put on his spectacles and looked anxiously round to make out who was talking." Alice could see, as well as if she were looking over their shoulders, that all the jurors were writing down stupid things on their slates, and she could even make out that one of them didn't know how to spell stupid, and that he had to ask his neighbor to tell him. A nice muddle their slates'll be before the trial's over, thought Alice. One of the jurors had a pencil that squeaked. This, of course, Alice could not stand, and she went round the court and got behind him, and very soon found an opportunity of taking it away. She did it so quickly that the poor little juror, it was Bill the Lizard, could not make out at all what had become of it, so after hunting all about for it, he was obliged to write with one finger for the rest of the day, and this was of very little use as it left no mark on the slate. "'Herald, read the accusation,' said the king. On this, the white rabbit blew three blasts on the trumpet, and then unrolled the parchment scroll, and read as follows. 
The queen of hearts, she made some tarts all on a summer day. The knave of hearts, he stole those tarts and took them quite away. Consider your verdict, the king said to the jury. Not yet, not yet, the rabbit hastily interrupted. There's a great deal to come before that. Call the first witness, said the king, and the white rabbit blew three blasts on the trumpet and called out, First witness. The first witness was the hatter. He came in with a teacup in one hand and a piece of bread and butter in the other. I beg your pardon, your majesty, he began, for bringing these in, but I hadn't quite finished my tea when I was sent for. You ought to have finished, said the king. When did you begin? The hatter looked at the march hare, who had followed him into the court, arm in arm with the dormouse. Fourteenth of March, I think it was, he said. Fifteenth, said the march hare. Sixteenth, said the dormouse. Write that down, the king said to the jury, and the jury eagerly wrote down all three dates on their slates, and then added them up and reduced the answer to shillings and pence. Take off your hat, the king said to the hatter. Oh, it isn't mine, said the hatter. Stolen, the king exclaimed, turning to the jury, who instantly made a memorandum of the fact. I keep them to sell, the hatter added as an explanation. I've none of my own. I'm a hatter. Here the queen put on her spectacles and began staring hard at the hatter, who turned pale and fidgeted. Give your evidence, said the king, and don't be nervous or I'll have you executed on the spot. This did not seem to encourage the witness at all. He kept shifting from one foot to the other, looking uneasily at the queen, and in his confusion he bit a large piece out of his teacup instead of the bread and butter. Just at this moment Alice felt a very curious sensation which puzzled her a good deal until she made out what it was. She was beginning to grow larger again, and she thought at first she would get up and leave the court, but on second thoughts she decided to remain where she was as long as there was room for her. "'I wish you wouldn't squeeze so,' said the dormouse, who was sitting next to her. "'I can hardly breathe.' "'I can't help it,' said Alice very meekly. "'I'm growing.' "'You've no right to grow here,' said the dormouse. Well, "'Don't talk nonsense,' said Alice, more boldly. "'You know you're growing, too.' "'Yes, but I grow at a reasonable pace,' said the dormouse. "'Not in that ridiculous fashion.' And he got up very sulkily and crossed over to the other side of the court. All this time the queen had never left off staring at the hatter, and just as the dormouse crossed the court, she said to one of the officers of the court, "'Bring me the list of the singers in the last concert,' on which the wretched hatter trembled so that he shook off both his shoes. "'Give your evidence,' the king repeated angrily, "'or I'll have you executed whether you are nervous or not.' "'I'm a poor man, your majesty,' the hatter began in a trembling voice. "'And I hadn't begun my tea, not above a week or so, and what with the bread and butter getting so thin?' and the twinkling of the tea. The twinkling of what? said the king. It began with the tea, the hatter replied. Of course twinkling begins with a tea, said the king sharply. Do you take me for a dunce? Go on. I'm a poor man, the hatter went on, and most things twinkled after that, only the march hare said. I didn't, the march hare interrupted in a great hurry. You did, said the hatter. I deny it, said the march hare. He denies it, said the king. Leave out that part. Well, at any rate, the dormouse said the hatter went on looking anxiously round to see if he would deny it too but the dormouse denied nothing being fast asleep after that continued the hatter i cut some more bread and butter but what did the dormouse say one of the jury asked well, that i can't remember said the hatter you must remember remarked the king or i'll have you executed the miserable hatter dropped his teacup and bread and butter and went down on one knee i'm a poor man your majesty he began you're a very poor speaker said the king here one of the guinea-pigs cheered, and was immediately suppressed by the officers of the court. As that is rather a hard word, I will just explain to you how it was done. They had a large canvas bag, which tied up at the mouth with strings. 
Into this they slipped the guinea pig headfirst and then sat upon it. I'm glad I've seen that done, thought Alice. I've so often read in the newspapers at the end of trials. There was some attempt at applause, which was immediately suppressed by the officers of the court, and I never understood what it meant till now. If that's all you know about it, you may stand down, continued the king. I can't go no lower, said the hatter. I'm on the floor as it is. Then you may sit down, the king replied. Here the other guinea pig cheered and was suppressed. Come, that finishes the guinea pigs, thought Alice. Now we shall get on better. I'd rather finish my tea, said the hatter, with an anxious look at the queen, who was reading the list of singers. You may go, said the king, and the hatter hurriedly left the court without even waiting to put his shoes on. And just take his head off outside, the queen added to one of the officers, but the hatter was out of sight before the officer could get to the door. Call the next witness, said the king. The next witness was the duchess's cook. She carried the pepper box in her hand, and Alice guessed who it was, even before she got into the court, by the way the people near the door began sneezing all at once. "'Give your evidence,' said the king. "'Shant,' said the cook. The king looked anxiously at the white rabbit, who said in a low voice, "'Your majesty must cross-examine this witness.' "'Well, if I must, I must,' the king said with a melancholy air." And after folding his arms and frowning at the cook till his eyes were nearly out of sight, he said in a deep voice, "'What are tarts made of?' "'Pepper, mostly,' said the cook. "'Treacle,' said a sleepy voice behind her. "'Call her that dormouse!' the queen shrieked out. "'Behead the dormouse! Turn that dormouse out of court! "'Suppress him! Pinch him! Off with his whiskers!' For some minutes the whole court was in confusion getting the dormouse turned out, and by the time they had settled down again, the cook had disappeared. Uh, "'Never mind,' said the king, with an air of great relief. "'Call the next witness.' And he added in an undertone to the queen, "'Really, my dear, you must cross-examine the next witness. "'It quite makes my forehead ache.' Alice watched the white rabbit as he fumbled over the list, feeling very curious to see what the next witness would be like. "'For they haven't got much evidence yet,' she said to herself. Imagine her surprise when the white rabbit read out, at the top of his shrill little voice, the name "'Alice!' How is that for a cliffhanger? Can you imagine? How would you feel in Alice's situation? What in the world is she going to do? What evidence could she possibly have? We will learn all next week when we read chapter 12, entitled Alice's Evidence. So, the beginning of chapter 11, Alice and the Griffin return to a very changed scene. The royal croquet game is over, and a whole courtroom is set up, and the Knave of Hearts is in chains waiting to be put on trial. You'll recall that the Knave of Hearts was walking around a free man during the croquet game a few chapters ago, so apparently things escalated very quickly. A crime and apprehension and trial date all occurred while Alice was learning the Mock Turtle story and the Lobster Quadrille. While the scene is being described, there is an aside that is Lewis Carroll's, not mine. Look at the frontispiece if you want to see. The frontispiece, contrary to popular belief, is not the cover of a book, when I say contrary to popular belief, that's what I erroneously thought. I don't know if even one other person in the entire world had a similar misconception, but it is not the cover of a book. It is the illustration facing the title page. Picture it. It's 1865. You get your brand spanking new copy of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. The cover is bright red. That was at Lewis Carroll's request. He did not want the usual green the publisher used. There's a little gold illustration of Alice holding a pig on the cover. Hmm. You eagerly open the book, perhaps wearing proper Victorian gloves, and there on the left page is the frontispiece, depicting the courtroom scene with the white rabbit Harold off to the side, 
the king and queen overseeing everything, the knave standing in a rather jaunty manner, despite being in chains, and some bewigged parrot barristers, lawyers, staring at the delicious tarts. The right page says in bold letters, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll, with 42 illustrations by John Tenniel, London, Macmillan and Company, 1865, the right of translation is reserved. Then you turn the page, and your little Victorian mind is blown. This chapter has some of the most laugh-out-loud moments of the book, what with the stupidity of the jurors, the idiocy of the king, and the overall absurdity of the trial proceedings. For example, the king asking for the verdict immediately after the charges have been read. Early on, we learn that fan favorite Bill the Lizard is one of the jurors. How nice to see little Bill again. In fact, besides how funny it is, that is one of the things I love about this chapter. The parade of beloved, familiar characters passing through. It reminds me of the last episode of Seinfeld. Oh my gosh, what if Who Stole the Tarts was the inspiration for the last episode of Seinfeld? Has anyone ever explored this possibility? I think I better. Look for a future blog post on aliceseverywhere.com on the connection between Chapter 11 of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and the final episode of Seinfeld. Even if there turns out to be zero connection, I'll find a way. If I could write a paper in college about how Magua is the real hero of Last of the Mohicans and get an A, I can prove that Alice in Wonderland was a motivation for the last episode of Seinfeld. Piece of cake. So the trial begins with the white rabbit acting as Harold and reading the charges. This is where we get the super cute famous illustration of him blowing the trumpet in his new little outfit. Of course, the charges are in poem form and rhyme. I imagine a lot of new readers to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and its follow-up through the looking glass, those that maybe just had a vague idea of some characters or perhaps have seen a movie or two, I imagine those people are often surprised at how many famous quotes and poems originated with the books. However, if you are sitting there thinking, wow, I didn't know Lewis Carroll wrote the poem about the Queen of Hearts making some tarts, he did not. That nursery rhyme existed long before he wrote the book. It was first published in some form in a magazine in 1782, a good 80 years before the book came out. But the poem became much more popular and well-known once Lewis Carroll included it in the book. It had a resurgence. A modern example of this would be the Chris Isaac song, Wicked Game. It was on his album Heart-Shaped World in 1989, and nobody cared. Then a few years later, it's featured in the David Lynch movie Wild at Heart, and it becomes a huge hit. Yeah, <laughs> the Queen of Hearts poem is exactly like that. It's like Wicked Game. So, we've already had the pleasure of seeing little Bill again, and who is called as the first witness? Hatter! Yes! And close behind him, walking arm in arm, are the March Hare and the Dormouse. Most adorable entrance ever. The Hatter is very nervous throughout his testimony because the Queen is staring a hole through his head and asks for a list of the singers from the last concert. You'll recall that in Chapter 7 of Mad Tea Party, Hatter recounted to Alice how he sang Twinkle Twinkle Little Bat at the Queen's great concert, and she hated it so much that she sentenced him to death. So it is understandable that he is skittish about being recognized by the Queen. I've always wondered what would his name be on that list? Would it just say Hatter? Or does he have a full proper name we don't know about, like Dario McFlurrykins or Philip Hatzalot? We'll never know. We'll never know. There is some very funny back and forth as the king questions the Hatter with some interjections from Martyr and Dormouse. 
The Hatter obviously has nothing to do with the case and has no evidence to present whatsoever. Why should we be surprised by that? The Hatter has his teacup and bread and butter in hand because, of course, he has not finished tea time yet. We know from our analysis of the Mad Tea Party chapter that he will actually never be done with tea time unless he settles his feud with time. Now, the king asks Hatter when he began his tea. Hatter says March 14th. The March Hare disagrees and says 15th. The Dormouse says 16th. Recall that in the Mad Tea Party chapter, the Hatter asks Alice what day it is, and she says it's the 4th. So everything's all higgledy-piggledy. I have a theory on the dates of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. We will get into that at another time because it is rather lengthy and elaborate to explain. Also in a future episode, we will discuss my theory about the song White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. There is a very famous line in that song that may seem like it is flat out wrong and has nothing to do with the book, but I believe it has its roots in this chapter. Oh my goodness, Alice in Wonderland dates, Grace Slick lyrics, how many teasers can I possibly dangle in front of you at once? At some point during Hatter's testimony, Alice realizes that she is expanding, growing rather rapidly in size. The Dormouse calls her out in a funny exchange. I grow at a reasonable pace, not in that ridiculous fashion. Alice hasn't eaten or drunk anything recently, so it's a mystery as to why she's growing. Maybe her last ingestible is simply wearing off, and that's why she's returning to normal size. The last time she made a conscious decision to change size was way back at the end of Chapter 7, after she left the Mad Tea Party and seized the opportunity to enter the elusive garden. So, unlike the first several chapters, when she expands and contracts rather often, she's been about a foot high for a fairly prolonged section of the book, all through the croquet game and her two-chapter interlude with the griffin and mock turtle. Back to Hatter's completely ridiculous testimony. He repeats, I'm a poor man, your majesty, one too many times, and the king returns with, you're a very poor speaker. Zing! This is such a hit in the courtroom that one of the guinea pigs cheers out loud, and Alice and we learn what the very important courtroom term suppressed by the officers of the court means. It means stuffing him in a bag and sitting on him. The Hatter is finally dismissed and makes himself scarce, and we know who the next witness is because we hear all kinds of sneezing before her entrance. It's the Duchess's cook. She flat out refuses to give her evidence. The king has no idea what to do about this, but luckily for him, the Dormouse causes a disturbance, and in this ensuing chaos, the cook disappears so that he can call the next witness, and that witness is Alice. And that's the cliffhanger we're left with. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'll see you next time when we'll read Chapter 12, Alice's Evidence. Do you have something to say about Chapter 11, or any preceding chapter for that matter? Let's talk. You can email me at heather at aliceseverywhere.com, or reach out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Why not Tumblr? Lots of exciting things happening on Tumblr. It's by far my most flourishing social media account. If I don't see you online, talk soon.